there was no conversation about protecting professional turf or debating about which healthcare provider should do what within the team-based model of care that had been adopted by the hospitals. It was literally all hands on deck. Welcome to Care to Connect, an interprofessional healthcare series about interprofessional collaboration in healthcare. I'm your host, Asma Kafour. As I'm recording this, it has been 10 months since the Canadian government initiated lockdown and implemented safety protocols in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Many things have changed since these protocols have been introduced, and the medical world in particular has experienced a dramatic restructuring. Today, I will be joined by Maria Tassoni to discuss how COVID has influenced interprofessional healthcare. Maria Tassoni is the chair of the COVID-19 Provincial Education Task Force, as well as the inaugural director of the Center for Interprofessional Education in Toronto. She is also the co-director of the Collaborative Change Leadership Initiative and the senior director of the School of Continuing Education at the Missioner Institute of Education at UHN. Join us as we explore how the pandemic has influenced the way healthcare professionals relate to their patients, their peers, and their roles as healthcare providers. So how did interprofessional collaboration change once we were in the pandemic? So I think thinking about the context I know best, which is Toronto, um, I think increasingly over the last, I'm going to say 10 years in particular, there has been a really strong emphasis on interprofessional collaboration and team-based care, certainly within the hospital system that I know. But I think the pandemic actually amplified the need for interprofessional collaboration and really seeing it as a, uh, as a major solution to how we were going to deal with a potential surge in COVID-19 patients. Um, so I think as locally we were seeing what was happening in other parts of the world, um, countries that had gone before us like China and then Italy, in Toronto and in the Toronto regions of acute care hospitals in particular, I think leaders and clinicians figured out very quickly, we were going to need a team-based model of care. And so the ability for teams to really understand um, what they each did, like what their roles were, what their scopes of practice were, and in particular, their overlapping scopes of practice was going to be critical because I think there was a worry that we might not have enough healthcare providers to deal with what was coming. And thankfully, we never got to that worst case scenario in the first wave. Um, but we were in this kind of uncertain and constantly changing environment. And we needed to maximize the health, human resources, the people that we had to provide care. And so I, I think actually the pandemic really helped us see very quickly we need an interprofessional team and we need the members of those teams to really understand the unique gifts and skills that each healthcare professional can bring. So I think it was well understood very early on that the, that the team, the interprofessional team was going to be the solution we needed to care for patients, particularly in the hospital setting. So the pandemic made it all the more important to know 
oh, what is my colleague doing, right? And can they do something that maybe I don't have time to do right now because I have to see all these patients? That's right. And so, um, you know, understanding that not only just the care part, but also the learning part, we knew that people were going to need to be redeployed. And so it might not even be that um, you were going to have the ability to learn perhaps in a typical way in healthcare. <laughs> Sometimes we don't understand <laughs> common sense. And so when I think about health professions education up until maybe 10 years ago when we started talking about interprofessional education or team-based learning, most professions, they learned in their own silos. They like to kind of learn with their own tribe, so to speak. And I think what the pandemic taught us is that we can rely on people outside of our profession to teach us the critical skills we need. So um, I can give you an example, like I had the great pleasure of leading the team and the provincial task force that actually created um, a provincial learning platform called covidcarelearning.ca. And it's a resource, it has about 10,000 users on it right now, students and practicing healthcare providers. And it's meant for a range of healthcare professionals on teams working not just in the hospitals, but in long-term care as well, um, as those numbers got higher. And it was great to see and hear stories of, for example, a physician who went in and said, like, I really need to refresh my skills on ventilation, how to use a ventilator. And I'm going to go to the respiratory therapy section because I think I have something to learn from my respiratory therapy colleagues. Or nurses learning how to actually care for patients in or residents in long-term care by learning from personal support workers and occupational therapists learning from physiotherapists about how to suction patients in an intensive care unit. So it wasn't just providing the care in a team, but it was also that spirit of being open and humble enough to learn from people you don't typically learn from. And so it was really, really wonderful to see that as well. Do you think in any ways COVID made it harder to collaborate? It's a really Good question. Um, and I think it depends on who we're talking about when we say collaborate, like who's the object of the collaboration. Um, I think it became very difficult to collaborate with family members. And I think when I think of an interprofessional team, patients and caregivers and family members are integral members of those teams. And because family members and caregivers couldn't come into hospital environments and long-term care facilities, it was really, really tough to um, collaborate in the way that I think um, healthcare providers and healthcare professionals not only want to, but have come to rely on. Um, we know that um, visitors aren't just visitors, they're often essential partners in the care of patients and residents. And, early on in the pandemic, that just wasn't um, possible in the way that it typically is. So if you think about the extension of the patient, those being their, their family members and their caregivers, um, it was very difficult to collaborate with those members of the team, for sure. Can you give a specific example of a COVID-influenced interprofessional collaboration you saw? 
when I think about interprofessional collaboration, it doesn't just have to happen at the level of care. Um, it can also happen at the level of um, doing project work together. So a specific example that I um, saw firsthand, going back to my comments earlier about developing the critical care learning, the COVID care learning platform for the province, that was an incredible example of interprofessional collaboration. We um, brought together a whole bunch of people in about a day or two in late March from the Michener Institute of Education at um, the University Health Network, many of the Toronto hospitals across the region, the University of Toronto Centre for Interprofessional Education and many of the health sciences programs. And so we brought together educators and leaders and clinicians who had never worked together before, maybe didn't know a lot about their individual um, professions and roles or those of their colleagues. Um, and we were given a really short timeline, 10 days, to actually collect and curate um, the highest quality education materials we could to be able to launch um, an education strategy that would upskill people to care for COVID patients in critical care environments, as well as um, in long-term care. So we did that for the Toronto region. And I have to say, it's, it was the most rapid example of collaboration, of interprofessional collaboration in health professions education that I've ever seen. And by the two-week mark, we'd actually scaled this to the um, entire province. And so when this group came together across organizations, across professions, nobody, like there was no conversation about protecting professional turf or debating about which healthcare provider should do what within the team-based model of care that had been adopted by the hospitals. It was literally all hands on deck. And, you know, in interprofessional education, we talk about needing to have a common goal. That's what brings the team together and what anchors us in our work, that purpose. And our purpose was really to do the right thing to help the healthcare providers who were going to be caring for COVID patients to have what they needed to feel confident and safe to provide that care. And so, as I said, we launched that education strategy in 10 days. It was, it was just an incredible experience of everyone putting um, aside any uni professional, as I said, turf or debate and just doing the right thing. And um, it was a powerful experience in March and, and April of this year. So not a clinical care experience, but I think we can extrapolate what happens in a care team um, to just work that we do day to day um, as leaders, as educators, and on special projects like this one. Has COVID changed how medical professionals might approach patients? That's a great question. And I can't speak to this one directly, but I've had many, many um, firsthand accounts shared with me of healthcare providers caring for patients um, and residents who couldn't have family visit or um, family and caregivers participate in their care. Um, like they normally would. And I can't even imagine how 
difficult, and that's an understatement to use that word, how difficult that must have been for a patient or a resident in a long-term care home. Um, I can imagine the fear, the loneliness that they might have experienced through this pandemic. And I know from these firsthand accounts that many healthcare providers felt that pain um, and that suffering. And I believe that this really helped um, staff within those facilities really connect with patients on a more human level. Not that that doesn't normally happen in a day-to-day, but I think that was also amplified um, to see people as a fellow human being, not as someone with a disease or a condition, but as a fellow human who was suffering. And I think one of the maybe outcomes of that was really challenging um, healthcare providers to think about what else they needed on the team. And one of the things that happened was actually the emergence of new roles during the pandemic. And one um, that I remember really early on was the role of a runner. And so someone who might not necessarily be a healthcare professional um, whose job it was, for example, to make sure that patients or residents in long-term care homes had things like iPads so that they could see and talk with family. Um, runners who would go to the front door of the hospital to deliver a homemade meal to a patient in the hospital. And so I think the pandemic didn't necessarily change what we would all want for our loved ones, and that is that healthcare providers connect with them as human beings. But I think in the busyness of a day and the volume of patients that um, a healthcare professional sees, and not that I'm making excuse, but excuses, but sometimes there's such a focus on the task that we forget that sort of human process. And even in the chaos of of the pandemic, I actually think that human suffering and connection was really front and center. And as I said, I heard many first-hand accounts of that. And, and that to me, when I think about the project we were leading to develop the learning platform for healthcare professionals, those stories really fueled our team and the passion of our team to work really long hours to, um, put in place what was needed for those healthcare providers, but all because of what we knew our patients needed. So I think that connection with patients was um, was an incredibly powerful vehicle for really highlighting um, just the humanity in our healthcare professionals. So it sounds like this pandemic, it did bring out a lot of positive changes in how we interact with each other. I think so. Um, you're right. And I've heard the phrase silver lining a lot. Um, and I do think, I hope that some of the things um, we've learned will stick and get institutionalized, that they'll be things that we sustain. What do you think are some of the biggest lessons that healthcare professionals should take away from after this pandemic about collaborative care? So one of the things I 
I think has been a lesson learned it, and that I hope sticks as we um, as we figure out wave two and move past this pandemic is, a, is about the use of technology. Um, and as I said earlier, I think staff got really creative about um, using technology like the iPad. It's such a simple thing. We've had it around for over a decade, but using that as a way for patients and um, residents to be able to connect with their family members. A really poignant and perhaps um, sad uh, way that technology was brought in, but so beautifully was to actually bring in virtually family members from afar for visitation after death. And that's not something I think that has been as typical. Um, so really thinking about how we can extend the notion of, of family and caregivers to be present through the use of technology. But I think the bis biggest technology explosion was really the, um, the move to virtual care early on in the pandemic. And I feel like we're just at the cusp of this, not, not just figuring out how to provide virtual care you know, as a pharmacist with a patient or a physician with a patient or a social worker with a patient or client, but how do we do that in teams? I think we're just starting to experiment with that. And I hope that we'll learn um, about the best ways to do that because I think there is a lot that we could be doing virtually and there've been lots of excuses for why we can't do it, but the pandemic forced us, I think, an example from my own hospital at the University Health Network. I think the numbers were somewhere um, like before the pandemic, there were two to 300 healthcare professionals on the Ontario Telehealth Network. And then in the midst of pandemic, that was over a thousand. So when you have to rapidly collaborate, it's incredible what we can do. And I think virtual care is here to stay. That said, I hope we don't forget that face-to-face -face care is still needed. And while virtual care can be more efficient, it might be more effective. It helps keep patients and clients at home and they don't have to travel to come to a, an office or a healthcare institution. It's not gonna necessarily be the best for everyone in every circumstance. So we need to find that balance. Um, I think another lesson learned, and it comes back to something I said earlier, is the lesson around just human connection. And I talked about how healthcare professionals perhaps were connecting with patients and residents in a, in a different way or in a new way. But I think that's true within the interprofessional team as well. And I think there was a recognition early on that teams needed to take care of each other and that issues of burnout and wellness and resilience aren't just limited to one profession. It's really true for all professions. And in some ways, I think team resilience is a preventative measure for individuals. So if we can teach team members to be able to brief before they provide care or debrief, um, share their vulnerabilities or just to feel comfortable asking questions and not always feel like they have to know the answer, that that creates um, a psychological and 
physically safe environment for everyone within the team, which I think translates into safe patient care. So that lesson of taking care of each other and that our wellness and resilience in the team is, is paramount through not just the pandemic, but I think post-pandemic as well. I think another lesson, which I spoke a little bit about earlier, is this idea that we can learn specific competencies from other professions and that we don't just have to learn them within our own profession. And so having that that humility and um, that openness to learn from others, which we don't always do, I think is something um, that I really like to see healthcare professionals take forward. From a leadership point of view, um, I hope people take away the power of role modeling. And I know that that could be an overused term, but I really saw this in action during the pandemic and early on, especially when hospitals were being asked to support long-term care facilities who were in outbreak, whose staff um, had become ill, were COVID positive, couldn't work, and they simply didn't have the staff to take care of the residents. And so hospitals were being asked to send their staff to sometimes in regulated health professional roles to act as meal aides or as personal support workers um, to support those residents in, in, in the long-term care facilities. So it's one thing, for example, if you're a chief executive officer or a president to ask your staff in the hospital to volunteer in a long-term care home, it's another thing to do that yourself as a CEO, especially when you're a CEO who's not a healthcare professional. And so I got to watch one CEO do the online um, personal support worker modules on the covidcarelearning.ca platform I talked about earlier to prepare for a first shift and then work as a meal aid in a long-term care facility. That was real role modeling. Um, that's what leaders do. And I really hope that our healthcare leaders take that forward as part of their leadership practice, really thinking about living what they expect others to do um, in the pandemic and post pandemic. When I think about students, you, you will absolutely know as a, as a previous pharmacy student that, um, most clinical placements stopped at the beginning of the pandemic and the only students who were in hospitals were residents, medical residents and um, fellows. And so I really hope that we figure out now as we move into phase two or wave two of the pandemic, we've reintegrated many learners across the professions back into healthcare environments and I really hope we figure out how to keep students in those environments during pandemics. Of course, we have to keep our students safe. Um, their safety is of the utmost importance, but um, students still need to learn. And I think there's a lot we can learn from some of the experiments that were done around virtual care placements and mental health or um, from student-led clinics in pediatric rehabilitation at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehab Hospital, for instance. And so thinking about what are those key lessons learned from some of the experimentation that students have been involved in as ways to really enhance the type of placements that we offer. Um, and I think the last thing for me that 
I hope we carry forward as interprofessional teams is how this pandemic has affected people disproportionately. And it's really emphasized the social determinants of health. Um, I learned about the social determinants of health over 30 years ago. But when I listened to the media and some of the discourses in health professions education and the types of curricula that are being developed for our students, it's almost like we're hearing about the social determinants of health for the first time. And it's a little bit sad, um, but the pandemic's really forced, I think, the conversation about poverty and race um, and gender and how it impacts our society. And so, again, I see this as one of the other silver linings in a way that it's really highlighted how we need to um, take care of the most vulnerable um, uh, in our world. And I hope that's a lesson we carry forward from this pandemic as well. Maybe the only thing I'll add is when I became the director of the Center for Interprofessional Education, when it was established um, just over 10 years ago now, the conversation was, why do we need interprofessional education? Because it was so new, we all learned in our silos. And then a few years ago, it was more, well, what's the best way, the how, how do we provide interprofessional education in a way that's meaningful and authentic and real for students and healthcare providers. And I guess what I would say now is um, if there's any time to see the need for team-based learning and team-based care, it's been through this pandemic. And so while I wish we didn't have one, um, it's really highlighted just the power of the team, both in terms of learning and in terms of providing um, safe, uh, high quality care for our patients and for our elders in long-term care. Over the past few months, we have seen our institutions adapt to accommodate new regulations and ever-changing circumstances. We have seen people working within these institutions expand their roles and work together in ways they hadn't before. Of course, collaboration has always been a staple of good, effective care. Now it is a vital tool in dealing with the damaging effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Interprofessional collaboration today means being prepared to do new things, learning about working outside our normal practices, and finally, looking to our peers and asking, how can I help? Care to Connect was produced by Asma Gafoor. It was written by Michelle Mogilner and Asma Gafoor and edited by Jill Johnson. A special thanks to Della Croteau from the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy, as well as Sylvia Langlois and Dean Listing from the Center for Interprofessional Education at the University of Toronto. Music is by Pottington Bear and artwork is by Kate Lazar.